Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs Now, uh, joining me today, we've had uh, this guest before and uh, this time he's uh, doing a speaking engagement in town here and he will be at the uh, Pocket Theater and that's this Saturday here um, 8 p.m. So uh, we look forward to that. And uh, so joining us is uh, Kirk Nermy. Thank you for being here, Kirk. Thank you, Al. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here uh, today. So uh, now, um, so let's talk about these events first so people kind of get an idea. What exactly um, are you going to be speaking about? Well, my, ty- my talk is entitled Defending Your Greatness. And basically what it is is, when I went through the infamy that, that the Jody Arias case brought about me and the cancer that I believe was a byproduct of all that infamy and the death threats and those kind of things, when all those things came together, I started thinking about the lessons in life that I had learned from it um, and the transformation I underwent when I decided I didn't want to practice law anymore, when I decided to step away from the profession. And immediately, as somebody who had written books, I wanted to write about the lessons I learned uh, surviving cancer, but I learned it was so much more. It incorporated that infamy and those sort of things. And I started to realize how much unhappiness I was living with and how much unhappiness other people were living with. So my goal in Defending Your Greatness is to start reconnecting people to the joy that they've had in their lives at other periods of time when they were happy and when they were pursuing their greatness, who they wanted to be and what they wanted to do. So when you when you talk about that, I, I have to wonder. Uh, so when you get into a um, place where you start to slide, like you say, you start people are living unhappy. Um, 
do you even notice this happening to you over a period of time? You know, I don't think I did. Um, I think we're kind of trained to some degree, though, to tolerate, right? To tolerate our work, to tolerate our jobs, to tolerate a lot of stuff in terms of in pursuit of the paycheck, right? So one of the things that when cancer came into my life, I really took a look at for the first time, and I was thought I was the only one who didn't ask myself this question. Are you happy? I asked myself that question, and that's an answer I pose to or a question I pose to people in my audience. Are you happy? And to start thinking about that life, because if you're not, then you're really starting to die in your life. So when you when you when you mention cancer and you bring it up, um, uh, and you kind of attribute it, it seems like to the case you were doing for Jody Arias, and that's sort of what led you into that. So the emotional unhappiness that you have from doing something like that, being, as you said earlier, trapped in that situation, do you think that kind of leads on the cancer or the sickness that we that we that happens to us in life well i think that i think it was the stress involved i mean i've heard of articles that saying 75 percent of blood related cancers are caused by stress so it was the stress of the entire situation i don't know that it was the unhappiness because maybe i didn't realize it but i think our unhappiness can manifest itself in that way so it can manifest itself in unhealthy habits maybe drinking too much eating too much smoking too much or just things that we use to satiate ourselves to not confront the fact that we're not happy with the direction in our lives. You know, one of the things I, I gave a speech a while back, and one of the things I asked my audience is to think about that one thing that they wanted to do as a kid when they were four or five, when they had that connection, they felt inspired, that realistic thing, not, you know, not President of Mars type of thing. And Everybody had a smile on their face when they thought about what it would be like to do that. And this speech happened to be on a Sunday, and I said, how do you feel about going to work Monday morning? And the mood in the room dropped because nobody was excited about going to work Monday morning as much as they were that connection they had, what they really wanted to do. And so I think in that we start to recognize our unhappiness, and I think that we can make take steps immediately to start bringing more joy uh, into our lives, and that's what defending your greatness is about. So, what are what are the key steps that you suggest for people? Uh, quit their job? <laughs> well, no, I, I, I say you know I, that a modicum of of adult uh, uh, of adult responsibility must be honored, but it might mean quitting their job. It might mean changing their circumstances. It might mean a new relationship. It might mean pursuing something. It might mean going on the course towards a, a different job. It might mean taking steps towards what they really want to do and what they really want to be. And it could mean quitting it could mean quitting their job. I mean ultimately that's what I did. Well, I, I, how did but how does this relate um in your family situation? So like when you're in that mindset, so you're you're you know in a pretty negative place, things are going bad, um how can you judge what things in your life are good and what things are bad at that time. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when you're so overwhelmed. I think it's a matter of getting some peace and clarity into it. One of the keys, when I when I give this talk, I give different keys that I think that people need to do. And one of them is self-care. And part of it is taking care of yourself 
beyond just the eating right and exercising every once in a while. And one of the things that I'm a bit big advocate of is meditation. So kind of stepping away and connecting uh, towards that so you have a sense of serenity. And I think that our heart is ultimately our connection to the universe and we get guidance um, from that, from the universal intelligence spirit, whatever you want to call it. So how did that, um, how does that work for um, your family life? Like what, how did, how did it, uh, how did it go there in that way? Like how did this, in, in my personal situation, is yeah. that what you're asking? Yeah. Um, it was a matter of really sitting down and realizing that I wasn't happy and that I was stressed out and that that I didn't want to live that way. And that was something, I guess, that I ultimately did on my own because I remember having these inklings not wanting to practice law and that sort of thing. So um, – and and when I made the choice to go into the chemo chair, because I seriously debated whether I wanted to do that, knowing that the consequence would probably be death, ultimately I had to find reasons to live for myself, to be able to be a good partner to my wife and to be able to lift her up as well. So I think had I stayed in a miserable situation, I think that's a lot of the problems we see in relationships might be that, you know, you're unhappy with your job, you're you're in debt, whatever it is. And that feeds into your relationship with your your spouse or your kids or what have you, and that's where a lot a lot of unhappiness can can fester and continue and can kind of multiply into the family unit. What What do you think was the um, key element that was um, probably the, the the one that was causing you the most pain at the peak? I don't know. Okay. I don't know that I can isolate it, but I knew that when you know, when I confronted myself with that question, and I use the word confront because it's so easy to want to say yes to are you happy because that mean, that doesn't mean change. And this might be an indirect answer to your question, but I broke it down in three components. I looked at my personal life, my family life, and my career. And both my personal life and my family life were, you know, A+, plus, you know, 10 out of 10 type of thing. But the career wasn't. And I began to kind of look at that. And it was a hard thing to do because it had been something that I worked so hard to obtain. And I'd been practicing law at that time for about 15 years and obviously three years of law school and everything it takes to get in there. So it was quite a shock to my system. But I realized when I confronted myself with that question, I was just assuming I was happy because I was following a path that I had started 20 years ago. So I really looked at those different components of my life. And so I broke it down and said, you know, the stress, the way I'm living, the lifestyle, how it's affecting me outside of the office, so to speak, um, was something that I wanted to change. Because the, 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 the moment for me, I guess, was the idea that when I made the choice to go into the chemo chair, I said to myself, I promised myself that I wasn't going to live whatever remaining days I had on this planet in the same way I'd lived the prior 40-something years. And so that was kind of a, a shifting moment for me in terms of how I was going to live. You know, when you talk about uh, going into the chemo chair and, and the decision, uh, maybe explain exactly what you mean by that for the listeners. Well, this was about in the fall of 2015. So Jody Arias had been sentenced in April of 2015, and I was starting to feel like I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to go back. And I didn't really know how to process and digest those feelings because because of what I said earlier about what I had put into getting where I was. And But 
you know, I attributed to burnout. I took the summer off. My wife and I went on vacations. And then when I was about ready to go back to my law practice, that's when I noticed the uh, lymph node under my right armpit was inflamed. And it was removed, and, and there was that, that stage 3 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma staring in front of me. And there had to, there had to be a real decision. I mean, we, we come to that point where we say, do I want to keep living? Do I want to keep living? And if so, for what for? And I really took a, an in-depth look at it, you know, and it had to be just for me. It had to be that guiding force that I wanted. I wanted more time on this planet to follow a mission, to follow a purpose. So now, now that you've um, left the law behind you, um, how does it work for you now? Like, do you do you find that you 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 miss the the legal practicing for what? I guess for better terms, like, do you miss what you were doing compared to now? Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, when you're in that world, when you're in a certain world, when you're in a certain high stress, high anxiety kind of world, maybe you don't notice you're in it, you know, the hypervigilance and things like that. So there's a bit of, I guess, withdrawals from the hypervigilance was the closest I ever came to regret. But, um, you know, the world of a criminal defense lawyer, uh, especially when doing capital cases, is is a world of, of murder and mayhem. And I don't miss going to the office and looking at autopsy photographs and reading, uh, you know, psychological assessments and doing those sort of things. I don't. I like having control of my life, and I'm letting letting joy be the guiding force of what I do with my days. Do you find yourself still following some of the news and some of the uh, the crime cases going on out there? Well, sure. I mean, I, I, I get called in to do legal commentary on HLN or, or different shows occasionally. So um, when when that opportunity comes to me, uh, I'll take a look at it. But um, I'll take a look at different cases and offer my thoughts. But I don't find myself um, following a lot of true crime and, and that sort of thing. I, w- I would say it would probably be hard to get out of your system after 15 years, uh, just cold turkey. But Well, you know, I always used to tell my wife I didn't want to watch those legal shows because it was like being at work. And, and now that I'm not doing it at work, I'm maybe a little more open to it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hard in some ways, but it's, it's refreshing in others because, you know, the, the, the one inevitable in life is change or one of the inevitables is change. And I think change is good and it helps, it helps in the evolution. So, um, when I go on and talk about some horrific murder case or something like that, I'm thankful that, I'm not in the position of that that attorney. So now, um, one thing I, I I know I have to ask here because I've been asked this a lot by listeners. Now you wrote uh, "Trapped with Miss Arias" and you call it book one of three, and a lot of people um, online and different places have asked when book two is coming out. Is there? Are you going to continue the books on that, or are you just going to walk away from that right now? Well, right now my. My only comment I offer on that, and that, and and I'm glad you brought that up because that's the number one question I get mm-hmm. all the time in my email or, or or social media. And right now, I'm just saying that I'm not making any announcements about that at this point in time. So, Miss Arias's case is still under appeal, that sort of thing. And and I've I'm writing another book uh, that's correlated to my talk. That's more of a personal development, self help book. And we'll see what the future holds. Yeah, yeah, no, I it's just we get asked 
a lot. Oh, I totally get it. Still to this day, and and I don't know what to tell people. Um, You tell them that Kirk Nurmi has has made no announcements (laughs) about it yet, but uh, (laughs) you never know. Please stand by. Please stand by. That's exactly right. Well, that's that's kind of good. Working on the first one, did it create a – did you have to relive a lot of the pain when you're writing the book about something that was not the best time in your life? Kind of, and in that sense, I think it was therapeutic. I mean, I had uh, this time off. I did a little bit of writing just for my own sake, you know, just kind of processing through everything. Um, And then, then that's when I made the decision thinking about when cancer came into my life, thinking about the lies Miss Arias told during her interview, her infamous um, bottom of the courthouse interview where she talked about how it was all my fault and I did all these things and created this defense, that I decided that if I was going to die, that I wasn't going to let her words go unchallenged. So, um, and then in that sense, I guess it was further further therapy, I guess, knowing that um, I was going to have this out before I left the earth. Now, you, you don't have any, um, I guess you, you really don't have any ill will toward her now. You just, you pro, what's, your, what's your feeling now toward her and toward the whole case thing now, looking back at it? Well, I think there's two different ways to look at that question. Um, every, you know, everything happens for a reason. I try not to have any ill will towards her. I try not to think about Miss Arias at all, quite frankly. But I think... In the larger scheme of things, when I talk about that time in my life and that whole, what I, I call the reality show, a trial that became a reality show, is one of the concerns I have. It's something I wrote in the New York Daily News right after uh, the Arias trial was this idea of trials becoming reality shows and how that affects um, our justice system, especially when we talk about social media and threats to people, threats to witnesses, that sort of thing, threats to jurors. So um, I look at that case in that way and think that it's also very seminal and important you know, how we're going to deal with our justice system in the social media era. So just, uh, you know, I want to get into your new book, but sure. so do you think that um, then that, that trials really shouldn't be viewed on TV like they are now? Or do you think that maybe they should film them, show them later? or Because... I ask this of almost everybody that comes in um, because of the effect that having it on TV 24 seven and the, and the media, those nasty people <laughs> like me uh, being outside or in the courtroom and doing all these things. Uh, how can that not affect the job that people do? Yeah. I mean, I think it's simple psychological observation effect, right? That people act different when they're being observed. Um, it's an intangible thing that we can't we can't quantify to see how that affects a trial, um, but it but it's not about nastiness so much. It's about of the media. It's about the external forces that could affect the trial and the the thirst for information. I think when we talk about trials in the social media era, we're talking about a different animal than we are when we're talking about a reporter watching the trial and standing on the street corner reporting at the 5 o'clock news. Uh, Tweeting, live streaming, those sort of things are a completely different animal. And while I'm one typically to think that the court should be as open as possible, um, I think the federal courts have it right in prohibiting 
filming the trials and particularly the live streaming. I mean, when we talk about the social media era, that the Arius trial was live streamed across the world. Um, that obviously makes it different than, than the reporter standing on the 5 o'clock news. So I think the courts have to consider shutting some of those things down or at least limiting what reporters can do. Yeah, it gets because people, you know, they get an opinion then, and and it just creates that atmosphere. Because how many cases have you seen where, like, you know, it's uh, Michael Jackson or um, some of those cases where everybody already has an opinion, and then it, the verdict ends up opposite, and then you have an upset uh, public because they they don't see all of the evidence. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the countervailing uh, theory. But at the same time, do people, you know, do people take feelings as fact? And that's that's the other thing you can never prevent. If somebody has an opinion, they're probably going to reject facts they don't like and still still have that discontent with a particular verdict. OK, so now now you have a book out called uh, Finding Your 2.0 Weight Loss. Um a deeper dive. So what what's that book about? Well, that that book actually came out about um 2 years ago now. Um I the 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 immediate number one question I got when the Arius trial was over was how did I lose the weight? I got that all the time. I remember I had this surreal moment during the trial turning on uh Dr. Drew Pinsky's show <laughs> and hearing him talk about whether I had um gotten hair plugs and uh weight loss surgery, some kind of gastric bypass, because that was the social media scutterbutt. And it was at a time when I couldn't really respond. And so before I had written uh, Trapped with Miss Arius, I um, kind of just wanted to, because weight loss is a big thing for people, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and so I wanted to share what I had done. And after that, I revised that. It was just a little ebook, and I revised that into the book you referenced, um, to kind of incorporate the lessons I learned about food uh, during cancer, some of those emotional connections, some of the reasons why we're eating this bad food, you know, to feel good. Like, you know, a, a lot of people listening probably had similar experience. Like you get a good report card, you get to go out for ice cream, right? Mm -hmm. Or you had a rough day, you get to have a meal that's not so healthy and that's comforting and that puts a few pounds on you down the road kind of thing. So, the point of that being I really wanted people to understand how I lost weight, that I didn't do it, you know, surgically. There's nothing wrong with that. But, I mean, I'm saying I wanted people to know how to do it if they wanted that to be in their lives. And I wanted people to think about where they're at and why they're eating what they're eating, to have that kind of personal responsibility but also a kind of connection to understanding why they're doing it so they can stop doing it. And the hair plugs? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I wish I had hair plugs. I could probably get an endorsement deal. But, you know, my wife started shaving my head in law school and because uh, the barbers in Laramie, Wyoming were a little scary. And uh, so, it, it, you know, like many guys, uh, I stuck with that for many years until um, she finally won out. And uh, I, I have these uh, these long locks now. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, me, too. Yeah, <laughs> I keep arguing. Uh, one of these days, I got to uh, shave it again. But she's she her constant refrain is no to that. So well, I can leave mine for a month and it doesn't grow. Ah. Just just a little bit at a time. <laughs> I tell you, but that's okay. I've been bald since I was sixteen. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's good because I can yeah. buy liquor for everybody. That's right.
<laughs> so now in your talk, do you, do you get into that a lot? Like, um, weight loss, how we eat? Um, is it, is it, is it primarily focusing on how we are actually treating ourselves? Well, how we're treating ourselves is definitely a subject of my, of my talk. But um, weight loss isn't really a subject that I address specifically, uh, other than when I talk about taking, you know, better care of yourself. But, but some of it begins, you know, with feeling good about ourselves, feeling worthy of where we're at, worthy of a healthier body, worthy of a job we like, all that sort of thing. So I start incorporating those things then that I think by... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. By de fact, by default, um, you know, that the happiness we start to start to feel then brings us towards wanting to be healthier, wanting to be happier, wanting to show up for the universe to say that we're ready to do what we want to do and really embracing life. But probably the main thing that I want people to get out of my talk other than to walk away with tools to become happier uh, moving forward in their future 
is the idea that th- this th- this reality that no one's going to like to hear me say, but the fact that we're going to die, and no matter what we do, no matter how 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 we work out or how much we sleep or what we do, but this idea of living with joyful urgency and trying to thrive in life instead of survive in life, because when I was in the chemo chair taking the chemo, not knowing whether it was going to work or not, the regret wasn't oh, I didn't go to Italy or, or you know, I didn't climb uh, Mount Kilimanjaro or whatever, but it was how I spent my last 6 to 12 months. It was just that simple for me, my experience. And and getting people to that point, because I had the experience, I, I caught a flu, my immune system isn't what it was, and I thought, well, if this is it, would I be happy with how I spent my last 6 to 12 months? And there was no objective success, there was nothing but I was happy, and that was I would would have been happy with how I spent my last six to twelve months. And a lot of people maybe can't say that, which is sad, which I think leads to the weight and leads to the alcohol problems and that sort of thing. Yeah, leads to things to uh, numb us, I guess. Right, that's exactly right. And that and the things that numb us might be things we don't even think of. It might be a fancy car to make us feel better about the job we don't like. It might be pornography. It might be whatever that we just see as a harmless distraction, but we're really not connecting with ourselves and, and what we're doing and why we should be here. So no more, no more Starbucks. <laughs> I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Don't get Starbucks mad at me, but what I, I, I really don't need that. The only, no. thing, the only thing worse could be Amazon getting mad at me, right? Yeah, Cause they run go. the world. Yeah. But um, no, it's, it's, it's not a matter of that, but it's a matter of making sure that those, habits and what we do are still in alignment with our purpose and don't get don't get carried away and don't become what we live for how do you how do you think so how does one find their purpose like what 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 is the best thing for someone to do so someone listening right now they've been going through this maybe they're in kind of a mediocre or unhappy situation and um so so how do they find that greatness well, I, I, I think one of the simplest ways is, I love Deepak Chopra's question, I'll modify it a little bit, but this idea, what would you do with your time, what would your purpose be, is if you had unlimited time and unlimited resources, what would you do? And start asking yourself that, and start looking at the things you want to do, what really inspires you, what motivates you, what moves you, uh, what, you know, they say, if, if you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life, Right. Um, so that sort of thing, kind of taking a look at, you know, what you wanted to be. And maybe it was that thing you wanted to be as a kid before you reached that double digit mark, you know, where, and for me, that actually was practicing law. And there's a lot of people that were in that, that somehow got assuaded away. So trying to look at who you are and your purpose, apart from all those practical considerations, like you talked about family and bills and those kind of things earlier, to try to look at that purpose, to try to look where that inspiration is. And most you can find a lot of that, I think, within your heart. And when we talk about meditation and connecting and taking that direction from the universe. So let's talk about um, Unchained, UnchainedLives.com. So that's your website. Um, what are people going to get when they go there? Well, they're going to uh, see where I'm speaking across the country. They're going to see my books. Um, I post a, a lot about my appearances, that sort of thing. Some of my some of my YouTube videos, I try uh, as best I can to inspire people uh, through YouTube. Now, I know not everybody can travel <laughs> to Seattle to come see my talk or 
or wherever I'm going. So um, I try to offer everybody a, a little bit of inspiration. But and I think one of the, to me, one of the important keys of that that website is is the domain name that Unchained Lives because we chain ourselves too much to practicality or, or to convention or to how our parents told us how to live. Like I was raised. And I, and I just visited, had an emotional experience this afternoon visiting my grandparents' gravesite. Well, they grew up in the Depression, and to them, happiness was knowing where your next meal is going to be and having a steady job. And I had to be able to break through some of those things to reconnect with my life purpose. And all of us have those things, those traditions, those childhood imprinting that we need to move away from in order to – we need to unchain ourselves from – in order to grow. And that's why I think unchained lives is, is the way we should be living. And what I offer on the website is, is different things. And when my new book comes out in January, defending your greatness comes out in January, that'll be up there as well, because it's really, I tried to keep the website as simple as possible because I'm, I'm not interested in a complex mail list and all that stuff. I'm interested in, in connecting with people and giving them uh, thoughts on how they can insert some joy into their life as, as soon as possible. Do you see the world as a really difficult place right now, more so than 10 years ago? I think that each one of us has a choice to make about how we let external influences um, affect us. Um, so the difficulty is what we allow it to be. Um, we can let our current political, socioeconomic climate, whatever you want to climate, whatever you want to label you want to put to it, um, as a source of something we should worry about every day. Or we could think about it in a way that, that this is how it's supposed to be. There's perfection in the universe, and we have to live our lives. And, you know, no matter what you think of the current state of politics, <laughs> maybe that's there to inspire us to people to vote. Maybe it's there to for us to take a look at who we elect as our leaders. Maybe it's to bring out some of these divisions in the country so they can be healed. Um, there could be a lot of purposes for it. But, you know, we can be affected by anything external if we allow it. I mean, we can be affected by what the president says, no matter who the president is, whether it was Obama or Trump, or we can be affected all week by the fact that the Seahawks aren't very good, right? <laughs> or, the, or the Mariners didn't make the playoffs after spending all that money, right? All that stuff. We can be affected by that. But in the end, it's transitory. And what stays is us. What stays is our life. And our happiness doesn't have to be affected by those external circumstances. So to, to get to your question is, the difficulty or simplicity of life really lies within us and our decisions that we make and how we react to things or how we respond to things. So working on your new book, um, Defending Your Greatness, um, what was kind of... Um what was kind of behind that for you? Like what, what drew you to write that? And, and, and when it comes out in January, what is it you hope people are going to be getting out of that? Well, yeah, when I survived cancer and became a cancer survivor in February of 2016, a lot of my inner voice and a lot of other people were suggesting that I, that I write something, that I write a book or something about it. And I'd written a, a blog for a, for a cancer uh, website, cancer-related website. But I felt like I wanted to do more. I wanted to explain my cancer journey. And I'd written a couple manuscripts, and they weren't to my liking. 
I was getting frustrated with them. And then I started realizing as I started going deeper inside myself, I started realizing that um, there was something more to it. It was more general lessons. So the defending your greatness came out of that. So it's not just about the lessons of infamy and cancer and, and, and with the emphasis on cancer, but it's it's the infamy, the cancer, the stress, all those things, and how all of us can turn those things around. Because the cancer was just really a symbol of mortality. I mean, at 49 years old, I had not really contemplated my mortality. I was going to be hit by a bus or it was going to be something I had to worry about 20 years down the road, right? And contemplating that mortality is something we should do because, like I said earlier, our time is limited. And if we're not living with joyful urgency, if we're hating our time here, if we're hating what we're doing, why are we doing that? I mean, did whatever you believe in, whatever you believe put us here, did they put us here to be miserable, unhappy in our lives, or did they put us here to thrive? and move beyond and help elevate the planet. So that's what I want people to get out of defending their greatness because I believe that each one of us was born great and it's those practical considerations that we chain ourselves to, that we need to unchain ourselves from, um, is really what can restrict our happiness. Because going back to my situation, um, I could have fought the bar, I could have tried to retain my license, I could have done all that just out of ego, just like, no, no, I'm I'm not going to give this up. I earned this, that sort of thing. I didn't do anything wrong. But to what end? Because I didn't want the win. I didn't want the law license. You know, so um, that was a real great moment for me to realize I was unchaining myself from my past and moving in a direction that, that, that felt good to my heart. And that's why we're sitting here today. So now now today, so things are uh, are good. Um do you still go through bad times and depression and you still have rough, rough periods now? Sure. You bet. I mean, I, each one, all, we all have emotions. It's not about rejecting emotions. It's about embracing them and understanding the lessons that we can get out of the emotions. So yeah, I have good, what we would call good times and bad times, but I typically try to refrain from putting that judgment on it and just, embrace the feelings I have and try to get the lessons I have. Sure, sure, I go through times or, you know, I wish, uh, you know, I was speaking at the Key Arena or the or Safeco Field and, and affecting 50,000 lives instead of the pocket theater, with all due respect. But, um, you know, yeah, there's there's those kind of times. But I also realize that, that, that what is meant to be is being and is playing out. So uh, how has this changed to... Um spiritually in that sense like were you um you know because i get a sense of some sort of spiritualism were you religious before cancer or like how did that change your whole perspective on the universe as from before till now i think when i started writing defending your greatness i started looking at things in my life that uh happened um in it with a new perspective um, and it definitely feel like I'm a more spiritual person than I was before. I wouldn't call myself um, religious or hyper-religious or anything, but um, I think it definitely changed to a more spiritual practice, a more understanding of the presence of love or universal spirit that's around us, um, as opposed to just believing it's all, it's all happenstance. Because, you know, we can look at things in our lives, like I look at things in my life, um, like 
with the cancer and everything else when I was going to go back to the practice of law as really propelling me forward in a new direction. And I feel guided uh, to this new direction. And by what or whom, I don't know. But um, there's definitely a sense of, of um, spirituality in, in, that, in that sentiment. So um, who are your biggest influences? Uh, boy, there's, there's several. One, one that stands out right away because uh, uh, he's, he's in town now is uh, Kyle Cease has been a big influence on me. Um, he's been a personal teacher to mine, and uh, I consider him a friend. Uh, and he he talks a lot about following your heart and connecting um, to the universe as well. Um, Wayne Dyer has been a big influence, someone, unfortunately, I did not have the chance to meet in life. And um, Sean Stevenson um, has also been a big influence. He's a, a, a prominent speaker um, that is also very um, connected with these issues and very heart-centered person. So I think I would turn to those three men as being huge influences uh, in my life, in my journey, in my evolution or transformation. So I should ask you what books you read. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, I'm starting to um, reread The Alchemist now. Um, uh, I recommend everyone to read uh, Kyle's book, I Hope I Screw This Up, because there's a lot in there about our pressure to do everything perfect and the pressure we put on ourselves and the book title kind of explains it, this idea of this perfection and we can't do anything wrong and we're really should be joyful in, in embracing our lives. So what, what have you got planned now? Are you going to continue this route, this route that you're on now? Like you're going to be keep, keep on um, writing books and speaking more and kind of get the word out, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, it's a matter of, sharing these lessons now and and you know when when people go on my website they'll see i'm coming to la in march uh i'll be in san francisco in in august and who knows where but that's basically it i mean writing my books and speaking and doing interviews like this or anything i can to help people get help people get happier you know that to me, and, and this, this will be another political reference, but, you know, <laughs> Michelle Obama said that, uh, you know, our number one health problem is obesity. And as much as I love her, I would disagree and say that our number one problem is, as a world and as a nation is unhappiness. And we see a lot of anger in our politics. We see a lot of division, that sort of thing. So I feel called to do whatever I can to help people bring that joy in and to understand that we are all connected and that we have to embrace each other than re- rather than reject each other. I, I wonder, you know, that we, we're not political, but I wonder if the uh, current political situation and even the vote and having Trump in, I wonder if that was in a, in a large sense a, a way of trying to fix our unhappiness, um, even though it's not necessarily the right answer, almost like drinking or eating the bad food, we vote for something that, I don't know how I'm trying to say it, but you know what I mean? It's kind of a, a punishment in a way. Well, it might, it, he may give voice to the anger and unhappiness that a lot of people are feeling. Right. I think, I think that's part of it right there, right? Because he was, he was the outsider. He wasn't the politician and a lot of people were upset with politicians and, 
regardless of his positions, conservative, what have you, obviously he's a very big cult of personality type figure, right? A very <laughs> divisive figure. And uh, the the point of that being, yeah, you know, there's giving voice to that anger because a lot of people, I think, don't feel heard in their lives. You know, they, they're riding the bus, they're going to a job they don't hate, and they're upset. They're upset about it. And rather than work on themselves, they vote for someone who's, who they think shares that anger. And um, that's what I think we need to work against. Not not him specifically, but work against that division and work against that anger. So what's what if you had to give um, one recommendation for people out there listening that uh, are driving in a rush hour <laughs> – and uh, what would it be like when they're upset or they're having a what? Where should someone go? What should they do? First thing. Understand that whatever is going on is only temporary. It's not connected to who they are. It's not going to be a lifelong situation. And it, you know, I guess let, let me put this another way, maybe a more articulate way. One of the things that I tell myself now is that if I'm not going to worry about whatever it is that I'm unhappy about on my deathbed, why worry about it now? And and those those people in those cars getting cut off and wanting to show the middle finger to the <laughs> guy in front of them or whatever, is that going to matter on their deathbed? Are you going to worry about that on your deathbed? And if you're not, it's probably not wor- worth worrying about it now. That's probably it's very, very true. So um, now... Um, you're doing a, a couple of shows here. So, of course, you're doing Seattle here this Saturday, the 13th, at 8 p.m. at the Pocket Theater. And um, so you said you got a couple of those shows lined up? I do. I'm uh, March 9th at the Covina Center for the Arts. I don't have ticket information on my website yet, but uh, after this performance or around the beginning of the year, we'll be getting that ticket information up on Unchained Live. And in San Francisco, it's a small theater called the Piano Fight Bar in San Francisco. And that'll be on Labor Day week, and I'm really looking forward to that. I haven't been to San Francisco in a while, so. And the, and that sounds like a good place. Yes, <laughs> piano fight. I I have to see that. So now uh, now um, the website is unchainlives.com, and that's the best place for them to go to connect with you, or if they have stories, or right, if they have stories or whatever, you can email me through that website. And like I say, there's um, those. Your listeners that are hearing this or are interested in joining me at the Pocket Saturday night uh, can find a link uh, to tickets uh, on that website as well. So that's that's the best place to keep up with me apart from, you know, social media and that sort of thing. It's always fun. Well, um, our guest has been uh, Kirk Nurmi. Uh, of course, we knew him as the defense attorney for Jody Arias a few years back. Uh, but now he's on a new, um, new venture and uh, very interesting and um, I hope I see all the listeners at the show. Uh, we'll be there on Saturday. Um, Pocket Theater, 8 p.m. Kirk, thank you for very much for being here. Thank you, Al. A pleasure. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well... Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.